Welcome to the bundle of hers. And coming up for the first years is the white coat ceremony. Do y'all remember that day? Yes. It was um, like right before a test or something for us. They put it on an odd day, I think. So um, I remember it being a little stressful for I no was, reason. Yeah. But, yeah. I was. Fun. Yeah, it was fun. I was really, really stressed out, but I thought it was really cool that um, you know, we were celebrating us even getting into into medical school. I thought that was a really cool point. Yeah, definitely. It's very empowering to finally get your white coat and know that somebody out there somewhere trusts you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. For me, I think with the white coat ceremony, it was like it was kind of cool because we get to play doctor for a minute, but also it was a little weird because I didn't I didn't I don't know any medicine at that point. Yeah. Don't know anything about medicine. And so it's like, why am I getting this coat in the very beginning? Yeah. Rather than, I don't know, like third year. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So one thing that we all have to do when we get our white coat is read the Hippocratic Oath. So um, today we really wanted to kind of discuss that our thoughts and feelings on um, this oath and like what is basically the point of it and, you know. Just go around and talk about what we feel about it. I honestly had never read the Hippocratic Oath before we took the oath. I didn't even look at it until it was on the pamphlet and we were sitting in the hall getting our white coats. So it's very interesting that they have you recite this oath, essentially, um, without any prior knowledge. That might have been my own fault. but I've heard of the Hippocratic Oath before and I, I, I passively have read through it and I... I, I knew the importance of it, and it's kind of tradition to read it at white coat ceremonies. So I, I just thought it was like another step towards like, you know, medical school in general. Yeah, I just remember um, basically the only point that as a person not in medical school, I knew about it was that do no harm. That's like the phrase I think of when I think of the Hippocratic Oath. Right. That's kind of the Hippocratic Oath cliche. But today we thought it would be a good idea and interesting to read through the Hippocratic Oath and kind of talk about what we actually think about it now a year later and as you guys are about to take the oath yourself. We're going to do the original Hippocratic Oath, um, the one that Hippocrates actually wrote. So It's on Wikipedia, too, if you're interested in reading along with us. So it starts out um, and it sets the scene, I think, very well. By saying, I swear by Apollo the healer, by Asclepius and Hygieia and Panacea. These are all, I want to say they're Greek gods. I think so. <laughs> That's safe. And by all the gods and goddesses, making them my witnesses that I will carry out according to my ability and judgment, this oath and this indenture. I feel like that very first line, we're already like um, already focusing on one group of people, um, you know, that whole idea of like the gods and the goddesses and then having a very like Greek terminology. I think that it's interesting because if you put yourself in that time, right, he starts out by saying Apollo, the healer, right? That's what physicians are. They're the healer. Yeah. And he says, I swear by Apollo, the healer. So I think that's intent right there. Right. Um, and then he says to carry out according to my ability and judgment. So it's like, I want to, how do I verbalize this? Like, I think it's kind of like, 
You want to interpret what this God Apollo, the healer, has defined as medicine and we as um, mortals, is that what? Right. Um, can and interpret from what their healing is because back then, and I think even now, we don't have all the answers and we don't know everything and we do have to use our best judgment. Um, I just think it's kind of hard to swear to some deities that are not relevant in my life and that doesn't, it doesn't make the oath special in my mind by, yeah. by leading off to swear to these people. I think that's why they, in the modern version, you don't really see a reference to. Um, any religious figures at all? Yeah. Um, because I feel like back then, like even now, sometimes things that are right and wrong, morality is kind of intertwined with religion. But I think that morality, people can be moral without having to have belief in a higher power. Yeah. Like human beings are capable of that, regardless of whatever they believe. I completely agree with that. I think it's interesting that they're including um, religious figures in a science. Um, I mean, if you go even if after a little bit later than, you know, that period, we start saying, you know, science is against um, religion. And so we start having all those issues. But it seems like, you know, um, the Greeks, they look to their gods as healers, as the art makers or the makers of this art. And so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Also, I feel like maybe at that time they were just speaking to their people, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it was something that was uh, like a universal thing. So yeah. I guess it maybe makes sense why it was modified. Um, The next paragraph says, To hold my teacher in this art equal to my own parents, to make him partner in my livelihood when he is in need of money to share mine with him, to consider his family as my own brothers and to teach them this art if they want to learn it without fee or indenture. Oh, that's interesting. Without fee mm. or indenture. <laughs> that just spoke to me for a second there. Yeah. <laughs> um, to impart precept, uh, oral instruction and all other instruction to my own sons, the sons of my teacher and to indentured pupils, who have taken the physician's oath, but to nobody else. I feel like part of this is very patriarchal. Yeah. And very hierarchical. Right. Um, Because it's like saying, I'm going to teach my sons this art and and then to nobody else. Yeah. Right? Because it, it just seems like the same group of people are the only ones that are learning medicine. It's not open to anybody else. And it's like the cycle of like producing physicians from the same, I want to say class. And so, and it also, it makes me feel like there aren't, it's, it's more catered to like, to men, to men. (laughs) Well, I mean, it it explicitly only says he and him, right. And brothers. And I don't know if in the modern version, how they address that. I can't remember actually if the one that we read, if it says they instead of like a more gender neutral term, Um, but that's something that stands out to me too. That is very different in our modern practice of medicine. Right. One thing that I think really comes up is like, the language that our language is very gendered, you know, and I think that's kind of something that we've been noticing for a long time and it isolates certain groups of people. Um, and I think that's kind of a way that, you know, these kind of systems uh, keep on going. They keep on getting perpetuated is because of this language. How can you change language from books written thousands of years ago? You know, how can I 
how can I learn from an old book or like an old um, art piece when all their, their you know, it, you can see these this type of language perpetuated there? I think you get to see kind of the mindset of the time that this was written, right? I don't think it's like you have to necessarily learn from it, but learn about it. Yeah. Um, Because it, historically, like medicine is uh, uh, mostly medicine is um, a patriarchal uh, uh profession. It's male right? dominated. It's male dominated. Yeah. Um, And so... I'm not surprised that some of the language being used is the same. And I think that even today, like you see remnants of that lingering. Um, but in, in, in the one, in the one re- we read of that paragraph, I think the only thing that they kept was um, to the part about like respecting your teacher. Um, but the rest of it, I don't remember reading but that. that brings up an interesting point too of if you remember reading um the emperor's the the emperor of all maladies mm-hmm. and the halstead um is he the one who made the radical mastectomy and all of his students were too afraid to tell him that they thought it was wrong yeah. because he was revered as this really great physician and surgeon yeah but it ended up being really not the right procedure at all and very damaging to these women's lives right so it's interesting you have to find the respect with balance and i think the professors have to or your teachers have to take that too as um we all need to grow together and that's where the respect is not a hierarchical system as it's outlined here Actually, that brings up a really good point Um, because I always thought of learning in that way. You know, the teacher is above the student. But um, I remember reading, um, I remember being in my ethnic studies class and they were talking about how that type of model of learning is very oppressive because you really want this like a collaborative environment, even with your teachers, because there's so many things that every person knows that the other person doesn't know, like I could learn a million things from my professor. The a professor could learn a million things from me. So I think having, I feel like that whole point in itself is also very like one way learning. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that one hundred percent because I feel like um the respect for the teachers thing is like is because the field that you're studying in is so sensitive. Like yeah. people are gonna live or die by what you learn, and so. I think the respect towards the teachers is because they're endowing this knowledge on you, mm-hmm. not necessarily not caring about what you have to say, but you actually getting like we study evidence based medicine, right. right? Right. We choose um treatments and diagnostic measures based on the information that we gather, right? Right. And so learning all those things and taking the I guess the flow chart of how you would diagnose a patient and how you would treat a patient is based off of things that have already been studied, right? Yeah. And so in that case, like we have a lot to learn from them, right? We definitely do. And like, I totally agree with what you're saying. I guess my point was more like in in the sense that um, students also can understand things that maybe one person can't. Right. I do agree that they obviously have this knowledge the skill that they are passing down Mm -hmm. so i agree with that point okay so this next part um comes in the third paragraph of um the um this oath 
And I will actually just read one line. I think this is kind of one that really jumped out to me. Um, it says, similarly, I will not give to a woman a passeri to cause abortion. So I actually didn't know what passeri meant. So I looked it up and um, using Google, you know how we find everything from Google. Okay, so it says a small soluble block that is inserted into the vagina to treat infection or as a contraceptive. So at first I thought maybe this was saying like we will not provide abortions, but it seems like they're also saying we will not provide contraception. Is that kind of what you all get from that too? I guess if that's what the definition of pessary is. Yeah, so <laughs> so so I guess now there's kind of like a double now there's a double explanation that I have to do for this one, but I found I feel like that's really um you know, honestly, in my beliefs, mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't align with my beliefs, you know, yeah. um, because I feel like both those things are very important. Mm-hmm. There's there's things that are needed mm-hmm. and they are. And again, this is all my opinion. And um, if if I were to if I was reciting that, I don't think I don't think the modified version has that because I don't remember no, saying that. No. I think I'd have a big problem with it. So is it also to treat infection? Is that what you said it was part of the definition? So Passeri says a small soluble block that is inserted into the vagina to treat infection or as a contraceptive. So it almost seems like it doesn't matter what it is, whether we have like infection or not, we're not approaching that region to treat, you know? You know what the crazy thing is? We have this conversation of like... um, women, women's health and women having the right to, to choose whether to use contraception to um, get an abortion, just things related to women's health. That conversation was still being had centuries ago. Right. So I just think it's interesting that even today we kind of still see the same, the same topics being raised. But also like also the whole point being that, again, this is said by I think he identified as a male, right? (laughs) Hippocrates. So like by this is being said by a man, you know, yeah, and not having any any experience of being a woman. Yeah. And things being decided by men for women is kind of interesting, too. Yeah. (laughs) If you actually read the next line, it says, but I will keep pure and holy both my life and my art. And I kind of see that as he's the in the oath you're putting yourself before that patient who that woman who may yeah. need that treatment to keep your own life pure. Yeah, and that I don't agree. with. It was like a boundary that he wouldn't cross because it would seem bad or impure or whatever. Right. In honesty, like it kind of almost seems like he's self-assuring himself saying, I won't treat woman um like i won't treat anything in the women health aspect but i will still stay pure right <laughs> so it's like oh yeah. yeah i didn't treat you but i'm gonna feel bad so i'm still gonna call myself pure is almost what it seems like right and so that like that line really really spoke to me because i was just thinking that you know um we are we are going to be physicians but we're going to be treating individuals that make a million different choices right and uh even their choice to come seek help from us, it's in a way it's a choice, right? Whoa. Wait. What? <laughs> what? I just read this again. So it says, I will not give to a woman a pes a pessary mm-hmm. to cause abortion. 
So even if she did have an infection while she was pregnant, I mean, that kind of sounds like now we're not treating group B strep or anything at this point. Yeah. Well, I hope that (laughs) Passeri definition is correct, but you know, but I'm saying, but yeah, but you can kind of get a sense of what he's saying with that line. And I find, I find, yeah, that's so weird. (laughs) I know. It also, it also says, I will not use the knife. So surgery, I guess, wasn't a thing back in the day. Well, actually, I kind of like this next part that you're referring to, Bushra. It says, I will not use the knife, not even verily on sufferers from the stone, but I will give place to such as are craftsmen therein. And I think in a different version, it's more, uh, it's written more clearly to my understanding is he um, knows his limitations as not being able to perform the surgery. And so it is somebody else's responsibility who has that knowledge. Okay. Subspecialty. Right. Uh, That's how I interpreted it anyways. And it's kind of like the know your limitations and who's on your team for the best interest of the patient. Right. Interesting. I actually kind of like that. (laughs) Yeah. We just realized that this is translated. So a lot can be lost in translation. I, um, I speak a second language. So I know that it can be really difficult to translate things directly. So again, this is based off of our opinion on the translated version. This is the James Loeb translation, if anybody's wondering. So in the next part, um, I'm going to read this. It says, into whatsoever houses I enter, I will enter to help the sick, and I will abstain from all intentional wrongdoing and harm, especially from abusing the bodies of man or woman, bond or free. And whatever so I shall see or hear in the course of my profession, as well as outside my profession, in my intercourse with men. If it be what should not be published abroad, I will never divulge holding such things to be holy secrets. It's really wordy, but... um, Again, parts of that, it's, you know, it's even... For instance, like especially abusing the bodies of man or women, bond or free. I mean, it's absolutely. It's. I mean, the intention to not do wrong is there, but why? Why even bring that up in the first place? Is kind of my question with that. Yeah, that's in. That's an interesting perspective. In another version, I was reading, it was saying um, how it's like um, it, from entering houses, you won't. Um, you won't abuse. Uh, men or women of that house and it's like I just don't understand where that's coming from from the first place yeah it was a problem back in ancient Greece or something I don't know I wonder what they think um, what they are like defining as abuse you know as well I know like some cultures it's it's um, whatever like the culture of the house is a very very private very secretive thing that only the family members know of and so to see someone from outside coming in to that is kind of um, it's it's almost seen as uh, impolite in sense in that sense. So I don't know if maybe that's how that mindset was back then. I'm not sure. Yeah, I actually wonder that. Yeah, because like you said, there are cultures that they're very like, this is my private space and only certain people can come in. So it could be that could be the thing behind that. I wonder if they had hospitals. Yeah, I think that it was mostly yeah home visits. Google no? it. I'll I don't see. know. Yeah. <laughs> So I, okay, so I think we kind of like discussed some parts of the original. And I also do remember that this was not the one that we read. So it definitely was modified. Mm -hmm. So I kind of almost wonder, like, I feel like 
you know, people notice these things. So they did try to like change it and update it. What do you guys think about that? I wonder how when the first women entered into the profession, how the oath was like. I mean, yeah, of course, they might have revised it to be more modern to that time. But I don't know if they completely changed every aspect of it. So when the first, you know, when when women became more and more in Western medicine, I wonder what kind of oath that they were reading. Yeah, if we can find like a timeline of revisions. Yeah. And I also wonder, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I always think that things that are originally made with a certain intent, like be it patriarchal, be it like exclusive, anything branching out of that, how do you erase the original intent from it? I don't, this is just my interpretation. I don't think the intent was to be patriarchal, sexist, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think the intent was to set an ethical boundary for the practice of medicine, right? Okay. This is a very sensitive thing that you're practicing and there needs to be some guidelines. I think that is what the intent is. Okay. So the revisions that you make around that you can take out the the patriarchy. You can take out the abortion stuff. You can take out the um, all these other things, mm-hmm. and it still works. And the reason why it still works is because ethics is the the purpose of the this. main. Okay, okay, that's my opinion. Here's uh-huh. a, another thought. Um, there's been throughout history, I mean, many, many oaths in regard to medicine throughout various cultures. Yeah. So why did we take the Hippocratic oath? Yeah. Why did we use maybe the most, I would say, closest to Western European um, historical medicine oath in a in a field that includes or encompasses all human beings? Yeah, because I feel like this oath is actually recited throughout the world. I feel like I've heard I've heard it be a part of other countries as well. My understanding is medicine, the way that it's practiced today, evidence based. I guess I I don't really know. I can't speak to that. But that's what I think is. Like the Hippocrates was considered the father of medicine, uh-huh. and so I think that's why it was taken from. Even that- though, like medicine goes back way before Hippocrates, I think that's always interesting. It's just kind of I don't know. Maybe maybe if we search, there, <laughs> like, there'll be there'll be another code of ethics from other cultures, but I've right. never actually heard of it. Exactly, and yeah. that's kind of why I'm wondering. So Wikipedia might have some insight into that. It says that. Um, the one of the first significant revisions of the Hippocratic Oath was in 1948 by the World Medical Association. And that was during World War Two, immediately after the foundation of the World Medical Association. And they were concerned that the state of medical ethics across the world um, was in shambles and needed some revision. And yeah. they felt that by revising the Hippocratic Oath and giving it to all doctors worldwide, it would help set up responsibility and guidelines for everybody to follow in a universal way. Yeah. Um, But that still doesn't understand why they chose or help us understand why they chose specifically the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Um, But I'm not aware of any other um, medically oriented oaths. So I think that again ties back to like Busha said, he was considered the father of medicine. So that's maybe why it was chosen. I mean, again, like it's we also need to consider that people choose things that call to them. But the people that get to choose the things, they're usually in a certain position of power. So I guess um, that maybe just spoke to the person who was in charge. Also, what I found interesting is you just mentioned that's when it started. But people actually use this oath. Others actually use this oath to kind of like 
tie it into malpractice. So like, this is like a big deal. It's not just something that we just say, but actually people utilize this. So the oath is almost like, so it's almost like we're making a promise, right? Right. But so are are you saying, is it legally binding? Is that what you're saying? Or I don't think it's, but they use it to like make cases against or. I think it's interesting. The, the fact that first do no harm doesn't actually is not a part of the Hippocratic Oath, but that's what people, that's how they know it. as. <laughs> I mean, that's how I knew it as it's from that, that phrase is from the 17th century. It's not even from the same time that the Hippocratic Oath was written. Oh, but they named. Okay. But is do no harm in the modern version of no, the Hippocratic uh, Oath? I don't know. I don't think it was. I, think, I it. think I remember that sticking in my mind when we read it last year, that it actually did not say do no harm. Oh, yeah. And actually on Wikipedia, I love how we're like looking on Wikipedia, but on Wikipedia, it says it act, this phrase does not appear in the oath. Yeah. Uh, just a side note, Wikipedia is really great for medical school. <laughs> I know. We like triple check all our knowledge. Do we though? First aid. <laughs> Up to date. <laughs> Up to date. <laughs> Pathoma, first aid. Sketchy, that's enough. That's that's, that's credible. The Holy Trinity. <laughs> the Holy Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> also, is there any other place that we actually say the Hippocratic Oath besides white coat ceremony? We say it during white coat ceremony and we say it on graduation. Oh, we do say it at graduation. I don't know if we say it again between those two timelines, but that's all I know is white coat ceremony and graduation. Oh, yeah. So I I find that interesting that, you know, we're taking this oath and then like we don't really revisit it. And to be honest, I, you know, I'm kind of a little bit like, why didn't I look more into this oath? Like, um, when we were talking, this topic came to be about, we were like really thinking about it. And I was like, oh, I don't know much about this, but I did make this promise, you know? Um, and I think it's really interesting that we're only saying it here in graduation. I used to think that every single doctor has the Hippocratic Oath memorized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I That's what I used to think growing up, you know, in high school. I was like, oh my gosh, every single doctor has this oath memorized because Everybody always refers to the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. I don't think that's true. But I feel like the principles within the Hippocratic Oath, the modern version, at least, I think that's something that most physicians follow, right? I agree. I agree. And I feel like, like we were discussing the intent of the Hippocratic Oath. I think if it's from that basis, Mm -hmm. like, you know... We're here to provide for our patients. They're our number one priority. I do think that it's something that's important. Right. Yeah. So as you approach your white coat ceremony, if this has spiked your interest, we hope you read the oath that you're about to take and and think a little bit about the promise that you're making and choosing to follow. And maybe at some point we'll revisit it during our next four years because I think that's important, too, to that we take this oath and we need to revisit it. 